Hey everyone, welcome to the Chief Future Officer podcast where we bring the best minds in finance together. This is your host Indus. I am the Chief Savings Officer at Kolam during the week and a pilot on weekends. But enough about me. Let's talk to our very special guest. Welcome to another episode of the Chief Future Officer podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, Robert Bendetti. Robert is a senior vice president and CFO of Lifecycle Engineering. As CFO, he's responsible for financial operations at the company as well as accounting, finance and contracts. He had various roles earlier including VP of Finance at Gailey and Lord and CFO of the Coastal Logistics Group. But the most interesting one I found in his resume that Robert is also the president founder of the Global CFO Council. We'll ask about that particular role with Robert. Robert, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Very much look forward to the podcast and having a conversation with you. Robert, you started the Global CFO Council. It has 1500 members in 32 countries. I'm curious to know what is a CFO Council? Sure, it's an educational and networking forum for senior financial executives, peer helping peers. So it's CFOs, senior financial executives getting to interact with fellow senior financial executives. We have sometimes a very solitary existence and there aren't very many people within the organization that understand what we're going through because we're the only one. And so it's nice to have fellow finance executives to get to hang out with and ask questions of. And that's what we try to create and then have both fellowship and education. So it's, uh, we have a purpose and I am very excited to be a part of it and, and I really enjoy it. And how big is it? We have 1,500 members in 30 countries growing rapidly. It originally just started off as just a local entity where I live in South Carolina, which is on the East Coast of the United States. And then I had some friends that moved and wanted to start one in another part of South Carolina. So we started another one and then COVID hit and we couldn't have physical breakfast meetings. So I started doing virtual events. And when I did that, people from all over the country and then now all over the world have asked to join so they can participate in our monthly meetings and, and our forums. And so now it's open to anyone growing very organically. And we've just grown from a few hundred to 1,500 in the past uh, 18 months. And I look forward to seeing how f- much further this grows. And now that we're sort of emerging from this pandemic, wherever 25 or more are gathered, I'll kick off quarterly social events and wherever 100 or more are gathered, I'll help kick off local chapters that have breakfast meetings every month. So sounds pretty interesting. So actual physical in-person face-to-face, which, you know, in the world of COVID for the last two years, pretty refreshing. Yeah, it's almost revolutionary. Everything old is new again. Absolutely. And you've had multiple roles in your career. I was looking at the most recent one. Tell us all about it. What does the company do and how did you land into that role? Yeah, it's a traditional corporate finance transition from internal auditor was my first role at Lockheed Martin, which is an aeronautics company based here in the U.S. And then from internal auditor to manager, director, VP to CFO. My education, I think, is pretty traditional. I have an undergraduate in finance, wanted to further my career, so got an MBA. I wanted to sit for the CPA exam, and they had changed the rules, so you needed a master's degree in accounting. So I went back and got a second master's degree in accounting and financial management so I could sit for the CPA exam. And each one of those 
uh, professional certifications or degrees kind of helped me along that career journey. As far as lifecycle engineering, I think it's kind of a really cool, interesting company. Of course I would, I work there. But it, it has engineering in the name, but really what I say is we bring engineering logic to consulting. So we don't put like PE stamps on drawings. We have computer engineers, reliability engineers, process engineers, and we help our customers on their industry 4.0 journey. Very interesting. So one of the questions that always baffle me is how strategic the role of the CFO has become in the last, I would say, five to 10 years versus when I was a kid, I had no idea what a role of a CFO is going to be or what a finance professional does. So when you started out, let's say high school or even even before that, was finance a career on your mind? Not even close. It was, A, I didn't know what it meant. And uh, I liked three things and I was kind of good at three things. I was good at tennis, theater, and basic math. And I, I realized real early, notice I didn't say great. I said pretty good. Well, you cannot make any money being pretty good at tennis. You cannot make any money being pretty good at theater. But you can make money if you're pretty good at math. And so I got into the business school and got into finance. And that's really the reason that I even heard about what the chief financial officer was. It was just because I didn't want to be a homeless tennis player or a homeless theater actor living in a van down by the river. (laughs) I'm going to chuckle at that. Uh, But that's a good one. So let's dive into your role as a CFO. What does your day look like? How do you structure that, hey, this is what I have to accomplish in a particular week. Here's whom I need help with. I'm going to go out of my to help others. Tell us a little bit more. I think it breaks down into two things. At any CFO, at any company, a big part of what they do is just helping other people solve problems. So it's my job as the manager of managers to just equip my team with the people, the processes, the talent to execute what they want to do, what they need to do to execute and achieve the vision, the mission, the purpose of the organization. So that's a big part of it because people usually don't have those things or they're not completely sure how to go about achieving the goals that have been set forth that they have set for themselves. So that's part of it. That's maybe 50%, 80% depends on the week. And then at any company, I certainly and other CFOs, there's certain things that I just have a background in that maybe there is a gap within the organization. And so I have some specific duties. I have some specific areas that I lead. And so for me at this current company, and it changes at every company, uh, that has to do with when something has to do with real estate, intellectual property, uh, tax credits, significant regulation or compliance audits, and we have an employee stock ownership plan. So when it's one of those five things, I actually lead those activities. And then the rest of what I do is just helping the team accomplish goals. Those managers in accounting, in finance, in data analytics, contracts, IT, tax. I just help them solve problems, big rocks if they get stuck. It's mostly just a helper. I'm here to serve. And then I got a couple little things to do for myself or lead specific things myself. Has your duties or the role evolved or changed? Uh, You know, for example, you know, Hilton Hotels where you were earlier many years ago versus Lockheed Martin, defense contractor versus, you know, uh, coastal logistics. So you had variety in your career. 
Has anything changed or the problems have remained the same? Well, the two things that I found that I was pretty good at was uh, data visualization. Now that used to be Excel and charts, and now it's things like Power BI and Tableau. But that was something I was always pretty good at is telling a story. I think accounting is the the language of business, and I was able to turn data into information and make it visual. And so that's something that stuck with me. I think I always liked the people side of change and change management. So if there was a change project, then I always wanted to volunteer to be a part of it, whether that was an acquisition, a merger, an ERP implementation. And that part hasn't changed. The thing that has changed is I think the over the 20 years I've been a senior financial executive and I've been on the earth maybe 47 years is that the things that the CFO does has really broadened much larger. And there was a time when the CFO just did accounting and finance. And that's just not true anymore. Very well put, Robert. I think the role of a CFO has become very strategic, very revenue and customer focused. Is this still resonates in a broader community or it's your worldview that has evolved from where you are in your career? Yeah, there's two sides, right? There are some people that would agree with you and I that you need to be thinking in the future, you got to help the operations team and the sales and growth leaders, you got to help them. And then there are CFOs are, that are chief no officers. And they, <laughs> they think that they need to sit in the back of the boat and complain. And then the rest of us, like you and I, we want to sit in the front of the boat. We want to help row. And yes, I'm going to point out an iceberg coming up, uh, but I want to be in the front. I want to be part of the team trying to set strategic goals and achieve strategic goals. And I'm assuming that progressive CFOs, they are at the front of the boat, you know, guiding it with this, with a partner in crime, which is their CEO. But still, the, the worldview has to evolve quite a bit. I have met a lot of CFOs who are still the chief no officer, and they really love it. And so not everybody's with you and I. So I don't want to act like every bean counter that I know, it totally agrees with me. They don't. There's some people who like finance and accounting, and that's it. And they want to close the books and handle the tax and audit and then go home. And that's just not me. Very interesting. So if I am a you know grad coming out of college and looking for career options, is CFO still a viable 20-year career starting from now? Absolutely. More than ever were needed. And I think it is an amazing profession. I love it. It is so bizarre that I, when I took that first accounting class, it was natural to me. And I was just easy hundreds. And everybody else in the class was like, this is dumb. And we don't understand why and why, why, why. I was like, why does it matter? It just is. It just is. Let's just do it. Let's just get on with our lives. So I, I mean, I love accounting and I love finance. So I'm a little biased, but when I meet young people and they are organized, deal tool oriented, they are interested in data analytics and technology, I try to steer people towards accounting. I think it's an amazing profession. So I think that core undergraduate degree in finance or accounting is an excellent investment that will pay dividends. Then I think young people need to consider professional certifications. In the United States, that's the CPA or the CMA, Certified Management Accountants. Wherever you are and whatever specific industry you are, whatever professional certification is the leading one or two professional certifications in your country or region, you need to get them both. Be a lifelong learner. And then most important, 
you need to volunteer for the worst assignments at every place you ever work. That's how you get ahead is when your boss, his boss, complains about how this one region or one customer or one country, everything's exploding, imploding, it's terrible, he has no idea what to do. You should say, hey, I'll go and just be a helper. You know, I'll go help. You buy a new company and it's not achieving the financial goals. You buy a new piece of equipment. It's not meeting the CapEx program. Uh, you have the the worst division and they need some help, volunteer for the worst possible assignment. And here's the good news. When you do, it doesn't have to get better. It just has to get less bad or not get any worse. And everybody will go, oh, you're pretty good. You know, oh, we sent Robert. Robert went over there and it stopped imploding and it, it stayed the same amount of bad or got a little better. So volunteer for the worst assignment you possibly can at your company. Do you recall a few from your own career? Oh, yeah, all the time. There, I mean, there's always something terrible happening. That's why they need people like us. But we, I, we've, I've worked at places where we bought companies that thought something was going to happen and it didn't. And very bad things were happening. I've worked at companies where we expanded to a new geographic region and things were going very, very poorly. And at both instances, I volunteered. I, I don't mean just be on the committee, but I volunteered to leave and go to the company and work there. I volunteered to go to the other region and work there. Or, And I don't mean like just across the city. I mean like in foreign countries. And that's how you bring value to our organization. Very interesting. I have two follow-on questions. One is, you mentioned something about going international. And increasingly, thanks to COVID, the world has become global. Your employees are remote. You know, your suppliers and vendors and customers how do you manage as a CFO in this complex global world, regulations, finance, tax, and accounting, and, and all sorts of nuanced issues? A couple things are coming to mind. One is let's just core focus on, there still are some companies that are really resistant to remote and hybrid. And I think if you're listening and you are, or you know somebody who is, they're behind. It is so important. And I wanted to start there because I'm going to be honest, a couple years ago, I was very anti-remote and hybrid. And I thought that you had to be in one of my buildings. And if you weren't, if you were one of those people who wanted to work hybrid or remote or flex, you didn't care about your career. You were a loser. We don't need those people around here. If anybody even asks, we should just fire them like immediately. We should put the form somewhere. And if anybody even accesses it, we should just terminate them on the spot. I really was that guy. Every work where I've ever worked, I've been the person, the executive who said, I think that's a terrible idea. Let's not do it. Then COVID happens and I'm, I'm big enough to say I was totally wrong. There are enormous cost improvements and retention improvements. It's better for recruiting. It's more inclusive. It is more efficient. It improves the well-being of your employees. And to your point, it really does open both your opportunity to pursue business all over the world but then allow resources from all over the world to be part of your organization. So I just wanted to start there that I think it is it's something I've embraced and a complete flip from persecutor to promoter. So I just want to be honest. If anybody's listening that met me three years ago, I apologize. And then one thing that's I think is important. So we're all a lot. Of, so half of us are like, yeah, of course, that's yeah. Remote hybrid, of course. Well, your company wasn't two or three years ago. So you really need to look at how you're doing business. And I'm on this big journey myself of, you got to relook at everything. You might've thought it was lean, but that process is lean no more. 
And you got to lean the process before you can do process automation, before you can do RPA, and then hope to benefit from AI machine learning. That is something that is part of the business landscape over the next two to five years. Well, it starts with reevaluating your processes that may have changed because your business has changed because of remote and hybrid. Interesting. How remote or hybrid LCE currently is? Now, very, very. And it's something I'm dealing with because I have very large buildings all over the United States. But we probably, before COVID, had maybe 5% of our employees that were remote. And now there's probably 5% of employees who come into a building every day. So it's a pretty dramatic change. We were, what I would argue, is very traditional. And now we have fully embraced this new, for us, way of life. And I think it's fantastic. So all these uh, retail infrastructure, what I mean, like the buildings, you know, sitting empty, that would hurt, isn't it? Yeah, luckily we had... Every single building except once, and I, I don't want us to come off like we're, we have 10,000 employees. We have about 1,000 employees, and I've got uh, people in probably 20 states, but offices in seven places, and all the leases except for one, they've been coming up during COVID. And so what I've been doing, whereas maybe we had 10,000 square feet, maybe downsizing to 3,000 square feet, or I had two floors of a building, I have one floor of a building. I might continue to occupy an entire building, but I sublease a 5,000 square foot space here and a 5,000 square foot space there. So it's just identifying where you can downsize and then where you can't because you have a longer lease, just partnering with your real estate community to sublease the space, your partners in industry to sublease the space. Just don't need the amount of space. No one needs the amount of space that they thought they did two or three years ago. And it's an enormous cost savings. It is unbelievable the cost of rent and facilities maintenance and taxes, it is very material to the bottom line. Interesting. In your previous comment, you mentioned something about, you know, young professionals entering into the industry have to be lifelong learners, which is a fantastic point. What are the three things I should learn or do to become a lifelong learner? Well, I think one is being open to that you don't know everything. I remember being young and I thought I was really, really smart. And the older I've gotten, the dumber I think I am. If I could go back and tell my younger self something, I would say, Robert, you might be kind of smart, but you're not very wise. And so I think being open to that you're not the smartest person in the room, you might be kind of smart, but there there also might be people that have 20, 30, 50 years of industry experience. And you probably should shut up because... Robert knows everything in Robert's brain. What I don't know is what's in your brain. And so I need to just listen. If I'm, And so that's something I'm working on, right? I hope I'm not trying to come off as preachy. I'm just trying to talk to myself right here and coach Robert Bendetti up. This is something Robert Bendetti needs to listen to and is something that I'm, I'm currently on a journey. But I think that's one is just A, you can learn a lot from just the rooms that you're in. If you if Robert is just quiet. And then number two, I find a lot of value in books. I think there's some really, really tremendous leadership books and business books out there. And there's a lot of value that can be gained. Third, I really enjoy podcasts like yours. I think it's just an amazing mode of learning to have the ability while you're jogging or while you're on 
a commute to visit your customer and the internal or external customer. You should be visiting them. You don't have downtime. It's value added because you're absorbing information in Audible. I think that's, that's probably my third. I love all three of those things. Amazing. I'm going to ask you about some of those specific names of the books a little in a little bit. One thread I'm picking up, and you know, you sound like a super software savvy, Robert, because you talked about Power BI, you talked about Tableau, you talked about AI machine learning, you talked about data visualization. I'm just reading my notes here. How software savvy are you? A little bit, right? There was a time when I would have told you that I'm a power user and like I'd want to have an Excel contest with you. But the older I get and the higher position I have, most of the time I'm usually just interacting with the person who is the power user in Power BI or Tableau. I like to do things for myself. And um, what what I like to do is sort of create a draft version of something and then share it with the manager of that area or a team member in that area and say, hey, this is kind of uh, whiteboarding out what I'm looking for and would love your input how to best really create this data visualization. So I usually come at it from that angle. So my, unfortunately, I probably say that I'm just average, but there was a time uh, in my younger days when I was quite astute. Nice. And, you know, the world of at least, you know, what uh, some people in the venture community call it the CFO stack, you know, what used to be Excel spreadsheet is now a suite of financial products and SaaS that one could use. So amazing to hear that from you. Yeah, it's important. And I think, you know, whether you're, it's easy to say, oh, a young person, you should get a minor in data analytics. But if you're a CPA and you've got to get annual CPE credit. You know you got to take 40 hours of training. Well, stop going to the same CPE classes you've been going to and register to learn about tools that you don't know how to use. Learn about the leading edge technologies that are out there. There's some really amazing teachers and some great information, both in live form and on uh, online. And if you have a professional certification like I do, probably all of your listeners do, Stop taking the same classes. Take something new that you don't know how to do. Data science, machine learning, AI. Yeah, don't get left behind. It's going to happen real fast. You know, this is why people who, yeah, you're going to get left behind, don't. So one thing that is currently happening as we, you know, look at the macroeconomic outlook, the the tech market has softened NASDAQ and S&P are down 35, 40% over their pre What's your worldview? Is is the outlook going to change, remain the same? How does your position as a CFO or, or the vantage point that you have gives you a perspective on where we are? Well, I think that lifecycle engineering, we're a mid-market private firm in the United States. So this answer is fact dependent on my current situation. It may be different for you if you're in a different company or in a different region. But I do see some softening and and I see demand from our customers and our customers' customers being affected by the global economy. The United States of America, I would define, is in a recession. We've hit two quarters and we have raising uh, or rising interest rates and inflation. So, and unfortunately, I see a lot of governments, and I won't just pick on my own, but a lot of governments increasing the supply of money. And every class I've ever taken, I swear it said in the textbooks that if you increase the supply of money, holding everything else equal, it might lead to inflation. And that we also are in the United States again, 
in an increasing interest rate environment. And the federal fund, the Fed that manages the interest rates, the federal fund rates, their job is to avoid a, a recession. And so they're going to continue to increase rates while the United States government is increasing spending. So the increasing spending may drive inflation and the Fed will be increasing rates trying to fight inflation. So I think they're going to be fighting against each other and interest rates may continue to rise more than they had and at an increasing rate. So we've been these little 25 basis points, 50 basis points. I think that's going to continue. And I think it's unfortunate. I wish they were working together. I don't think that they are. But what does that mean for you? So if you are about to do a budget because your fiscal year, your calendar year is coming up, when you do that budget, do some sensitivity analysis. What if your largest customer or your largest SKU saw a 5, 10, or 20% change in demand? What would that do to the rest of the budget? And you should present that to the team. What if, if you are highly leveraged, then what if interest rates continue to increase? And not 25 basis points, but what if it was 125 basis points next fiscal year? What would that do? And report on it, right? And then just have that to the side. But you've already presented that to the board. You've already presented that to the executive leadership team. Hey, my eyes on this. I just want everybody to know this is what could happen. And this can be done very simply in Excel, or it can be done in amazing tools like, and you can make this look very pretty and get a lot of people involved, or you could just be you know, you could do this very simply, but it's important to just do it. Got it. And do you think we'll be out of this in next a year or this is a longer haul, couple of years? Yeah, what I hear, the consensus, right? So that means it's totally wrong, is that that <laughs> we'll continue to be sluggish in 23 and potentially 24 and that in 24 we'll, be, we'll begin to turn things around. That's a U.S., right? I, I do not have a really clear picture of the global economics, and I, you know, I seek to understand how others are impacted. My current firm at Lifecycle Engineering, we do have work all over the globe, but it is very North American centric. So that's really my visibility. Interesting. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. Uh, 24 sounds scary, but at the same time, hopeful that things turn around. Last few questions for you, Robert. And the most interesting one was you managing the CFO council and having a CFO job to to run and manage the LCE and you know things that are happening there. I'm assuming your days are intense, but your weekends are also intense or it's kind of relaxed? Yeah, no, I'm probably that's probably a good word. I am kind of an intense guy. Uh, my when I'm not working, I like to run ultra marathons. Uh, I'm a terrible surfer. I like hiking and camping. I like to drive my car really fast on the track. So I I do like to keep busy. And I love family time. So everything I do, I do with my family. My family is involved in work and the CFO council and all my sports. I believe in work-life integration, not work-life balance. I don't really know what that is. I, I can't do that. So I just like integrating everything. And intense is probably a good word. I'm going to copy that work-life integration rather than work-life balance. That's a good one. Yeah. And, and now it means that I can't work everywhere and I couldn't marry everyone. I needed a, a, a partner in life, my wife, that had similar intensity and uh, values and goals. And then jobs, 
you know, if, if there are jobs that don't want my wife around, then that's not the job for me because my family is going to be around. I'm going to work all the time. And my wife understands that. And if something really terrible happens in Cambodia or Colombia or California, I'm going to go and my whole family is just going to come with me. And they know. And that's happened a bunch of times because of that integration. And that's helped me. That's how I've been a little bit successful. So that's the plan I'm sticking with. Love it. Love it. And especially the, the world that we are living in, where, you know, as a leader, you are available 24 by 7, you know, firefights going on. There is no technical switch off. You know, you kind of have that integration as you rightly pointed. So love that. Yeah. So you need some stress management. Some people will do it by eating too much or drinking. So I think I recommend don't do that. And I think this hasn't always been the case. Uh, I was a bigger guy. Uh, I wasn't always focused on nutrition and exercise. I let that slip for a while. And I, I did have too many cocktails after work with the coworkers and I did eat too much delicious food and always had a dessert at the business dinner. But I have found a healthier strategy is to fuel yourself with good nutrition. You don't have to be crazy, just good nutrition. And then find something you like doing and do it. Exercise. That might be walking. It could be jogging. It could be throwing the frisbee or shooting some basketball, playing some cricket. Or for me, I like to run. And really, point of clarification, if anybody's ever seen me run, really what I do is ultra jogging, really more than ultra marathon. Like I'm really not an ultra runner. That's too, that's probably too generous. But I do, I do, uh, I'm more of an ultra jogger. Think of it this way. Like a sprint? Well, no, it's just I'm not fast. So, and these ultra marathons, they're like 50Ks, 50 miles, 100 miles. There's people who finish early when they're win or win their age bracket. And then those people hang out for a while and then they clap for the rest of us when we cross the line and get the little finisher medal. And I'm a finisher. I get the finisher medal. So you're not going to see me on a fitness magazine, but I, I'm the guy in the back that everyone else claps for. And uh, I finish. And I think it's a great outlet of energy. Nice. You mentioned about some of the books that are your favorites um, that you could recommend to the audience. What one or two or your favorite one or two books that everybody should read? I got two. And one of them translates to what we were just talking about. One is Younger Next Year. That is by a Cowley and Lodge. And they wrote a book that it actually matters. After you get over about 30 or 40 years old, like I am, it matters what you eat. And movement is medicine. And it just clicked at the right time with me. I had gotten a little bigger. I was a full-figured young man, a little chubby. And that, oh my gosh, maybe the reason I have headaches is because of what I'm eating. All this diet soda I'm drinking, all this soda I'm drinking. Maybe my knees hurt because I'm too heavy. My back hurts because I'm too heavy. I'm carrying around this extra weight. And so I read that book and it kind of let it set a fire within me. I could make small incremental changes. I know how important that is at work and how amazingly a huge impact that can have. And so I just made small personal choices and once something little, small improvement every week. And I lost 65 pounds. I lost one pound a week for 65 weeks and I lost 65 pounds. And once I had done that, I was like, wow, my back doesn't hurt. My knee doesn't hurt. I don't have headaches because I'm not, I'm just not poisoning myself. And then now I like to go on walks and then jogging. And I, I was like, oh, I'll go camping and surfing and 
it just really improved my life and had a big impact. So I'd recommend Younger Next Year. Wow, that's magical and super inspirational, Robert. Thank you for your time. It was amazing chatting with you. Looking forward to meeting you offline and have a great week ahead. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Chief Future Officer podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback and it'd be amazing if you could share this with anyone who may find this interesting. That's me, Indus from Kolam, signing off. See you in the next episode.